Amen, man. That's awesome. Good to see you this morning. I'm super excited that you are here. Um, thank you to Ruth and Saul for reading the Advent devotion, man. That, uh, like when we sit every year and we say, who, do, who represents our church in this last year and who would we love to see read the Advent devotion? It's always fun to see people who are family and deeply embedded into the life of Christ Church Charlestown who read it each year. So I'm so grateful we get to do that. Um, Ed is going to come, and he's going to share the third message this year in our Advent series. And so the theme of Advent each week follows kind of a, a theme, and we talk about that in the candles, and then we also talk about that in the message. This year's theme is joy, and so I'm going to pray for Ed, if I might, before he comes and shares the word. God, we love you. We give you all the glory. God, we give you all the weight of our worship. We come in here and... God, I can come in and my mind can be running a thousand different directions. It can be running through who I'm excited to see, what you've been doing in my life this week. It can even run through uh, just the things that kind of are distractions in my heart. God, we want to just give you the glory. We want to give you the weight of our worship. We want to thank you, God, for all that you do in us. God, it's not a thing that we bring to this salvation, and we, th we thank you for that. We thank you for the good news of the gospel that while we are not good, you are good and great and make a way to come to us. Lord, would you speak powerfully through Ed today? God, I pray that you would um, leverage every word of the Bible that gets read, that you would leverage every personal example that he shares, the, the truths that he's going to share with us. God, I pray that you would leverage those, speak powerfully through those. God, just baptize him in peace and the confidence that comes uh, knowing we're approved when we make much of Jesus. Uh, and Lord, we're here to hear what you want to say to us, God. Just as we ask you to speak through Ed, we ask that you help us to listen to what you want to say. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, good sir. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And good morning, good morning, good morning. What's up and praise the Lord. Uh, it is always a pleasure for me to be in the house of the Lord, but being able to share this time with you makes it that much greater. And I know some of you think that's kind of cheesy, but it's true. Uh, if you think about it, you could be anywhere else with someone else doing something else, but yet we are here together to give God the honor, the glory, and the praise that he deserves. We're here together to engage his holy word. And for some of you, for the next hour or so, you'll stay out of trouble. And I think for that alone, somebody ought to say, amen. Amen. So we have... Uh, Definitely have a word from God for you today, but before we dive into the word, let's go before our creator in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you. And we just want to say thank you for waking us up this morning, giving us the activity in our limbs. Heavenly Father, we say thank you uh, because you made it possible that you might be in our hearts, on our mind, and in our spirits. We say thank you because we could have easily gone to the mall or taken a walk in the park, Heavenly Father, but yet we decided to rise from our beds and come here to praise you and to worship you, to get to know you better. We say thank you for that opportunity. And so we pray that you allow your spirit to be felt in this sanctuary this morning, Heavenly Father. I pray that everyone in the sound of my voice will be blessed by the message that you put forward, Heavenly Father. And I pray that you take complete control. I've been praying to you all week because, you know, I've been tired and flustered and nervous. And I just want you to come down, Heavenly Father, decrease me, increase you within me. 
and let your will be done on earth and in this church as it is in heaven. I know these are big requests, but I believe that all things are possible through you. And so I say in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we have arrived at the midway point of this, uh, what I believe to be exciting series, Same Christmas, Different Me. Uh, And so today we'll continue to build on this series um, where we've been able to look at the birth of Jesus from various perspectives. And we've been able to think about uh, the differences that his birth has made in our lives. And so today we're going to pull the perspective of the wise men into this fold. Uh, And if I had to give this message a subtitle, I will entitle it Joy Unspeakable. Same Christmas, different me, Joy Unspeakable. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 2, where I will be reading for your listening. It's the book of Matthew, chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 1 through 12. Book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And the Bible says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them the time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, go, search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring word to me that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy." Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So this, for me at least, was a tough message, right? Uh, A passage to deliver one single message because... There is so much to be learned here, so many lessons to be learned, so many stories that can be told. And so I was thinking about how I am going to address a single message from this powerful, powerful passage. And so by the grace of God and by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, I am going to hone in on this idea of joy unspeakable. And I'm going to tell you right off the bat, good people, we will not be talking about ordinary joy. We will be talking about a joy that comes from the Holy Spirit, which dwells in the temple, is your body. We will talk about a joy that is given to us as a gift from an unchanging God. Therefore, it must be an unchanging gift. We will talk about a joy that is secure enough and encouraging enough to make you stand as boldly as 10,000 trees in the middle of a storm, a windstorm, but it is also powerful enough and holy enough to break us down and humble us so that we desire to worship the one true living God, we will talk about joy, unspeakable. But first, we're going to talk about what went down in this scripture. 
Now, I can't name exactly when, but at some point in time, a star rose. Today, some of us call that the star of Bethlehem. Others call it the Christmas star. In fact, some of you won't realize it until right now, but for years, your family put up a Christmas tree with all of the bells and whistles, right? You put all of the ornaments, the fake snow, the candy canes, so on and so forth. And most of us, at the end of all of that, at the top of that tree, we would place a star right at the top of that tree. You know, the star you had to plug in in order for the light to come on and change different colors, you know. For some of you, that was your star of Bethlehem. And you didn't even know that until right now. And if you know what I'm talking about, everybody say amen. 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 At some point in time, around the birth of Jesus, a star rose and it revealed itself to a group of people, to a select few people. Now, I can't name exactly how many people saw that star, but I do know that a group of white in Jerusalem saw it. And the sight of that star inspired them to travel hundreds and hundreds of miles over the course of several weeks and then months, some even set up a year, simply to worship the baby that was said to be the king of the Jews. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they went straight to that evil king, Herod, and they said, listen, man, where is he? So I had to stop and pause for a second and reflect on this, because I'm thinking in my mind, this had to be a direct insult to King Herod, because there are these wise men who just came from hundreds of miles looking him in his eyes, in his headquarters, saying, I'm here to worship the baby that was born to replace you as the king of Israel. And I can just see King Herod's face of confusion because he is the king, but yet he had no clue who or what they were talking about. So can you imagine being the king over a land and then hearing through the grapevine that the new king of the Jews was being born to replace you? Now, in your backyard, under your nose, you didn't know about it. Not only did you not know it, but other people knew about it and then did not tell you about it. Now, maybe I watched too many medieval movies about kingdoms, but it's my understanding that that type of secrecy would have gotten you beheaded back then. So let me put it in another way. Imagine the Lord decides to bless my wife Bonnie and I with another pregnancy. Let's say she found out but didn't tell me immediately. Now imagine I'm getting all these phone calls from my friends from Georgia whom I haven't seen in 20 years. They're saying, congratulations, congratulations, congratulations. And I'm like, congratulations for what? And they say, well, Bonnie just posted on Facebook she's five months pregnant. <laughs> now, I know that there is at least one person in here who is thinking you should just be overjoyed and say, thank you, Jesus. But I'll tell you, the devil is a liar. Because there are some things about my house and my kingdom and my wife that I ought to know before everyone else does. But here we are scenario where the king of the Jews is being born in King Herod's backyard, and he is completely out of the loop. The Bible says in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. He was scared. He was confused. He was perplexed. He was angered. And all of Jerusalem with him. And so he assembled all of the chief priests and the scribes, and he asked them, where was this Christ being born? Now, keep in mind that the chief priest was a high position among the Israelites. Essentially, the chief priest is in charge of the temples, and they held the reins to everything holy, while the scribes held the knowledge of the law. So in essence, they were considered and should have been considered the wise men of Israel at that time. But in this case, they had no real clue where Christ would be born. And so they did the only thing fraudulent religious leaders did back then. Some of them still do it today. They blindly quoted scripture. And so they said, uh, Herod, the baby's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. So Herod's like, wait a minute, how do you know that? You are the chief priest, you are a scribe, how do you know that? And then they responded, well, it was written by the prophet. So if you look at verse 6, it says, In you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, 
are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So several hundred years before Jesus on the prophet Micah told the people that a Messiah was coming. He even told them where the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So clearly, a lot of people heard about the birth that would happen. They just didn't know when it was going to happen. And even though they knew that it would happen, the question must become who believed that it would happen. So if we look at verse 7, it says, Then Herod uh, summoned the wise men secretly and asked from them what time the star had appeared. You see, Herod assumed that the appearance of the star would coincide with the birth of the Christ. And so the king was trying to do some quick math in his head to figure out how old this child might be so that he could narrow down the description of his potential rival. And I'll tell you why in just a second. But first, we're going to talk about the majesty of this star. You see, so to my knowledge, no one saw the star except for the wise men. Maybe they could not see the star. Maybe they just weren't paying attention. But we do know that King Herod and his scribes and his chief priests didn't see the star. They were so surprised when they got the news. Now, I wasn't there, good people, but I can only imagine that this star was, or at least it could have been so bright that the wise are even in the daytime because they be fooled by the sun and lose their footing on their journey. And keep in mind, we're not talking about some ordinary star here. Now, I didn't see the star myself, but I can envision that this star was more than just bright, but it had to be so big and so unique that it was distinctively different from all of the other stars in the night sky. And if it is indeed this bright and this big and this unique, somebody else should have seen it, should have seen it, right? Amen. Not really, because the reality is God does not reveal himself to everyone in the same way, and he certainly doesn't reveal himself to everyone at the same time. It is this type of revelation that gives birth to this spiritual joy unspeakable. So if you look at verse 8, the Bible says, And he, King Herod, sent them, the wise men, to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. You see, Herod was trying trick the wise men to get them to drop Jesus's address. He was claiming he wanted to go and worship him when really he just wanted to go and eliminate him, to kill him, to protect his own position of power. And the more and more I read this story, the more and more I realized that the saddest part of this story, the saddest part of this scenario is that King Herod had enough belief in God's prophecy to fear it, but not enough faith to trust God to do what was good for Israel. And instead, he begins plotting on how to find this newborn king so that he could kill him. You see, when we do not have joy unspeakable within us, if we do not have the fullness of in our spirit, we are tempted to fill that void with jealousy and envy and fear, unhappiness, even hatred. In verses 9 and 10, it says, after listening to the king, they, being the wise men, went on their way and behold, the spirit that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So here is this concept of joy unspeakable. Now, some of you might think that joy was just a small part of the story, but I would argue that it is really the core of the story because it takes joy unspeakable, which is rooted in your faith, to do what the wise men did. Now, can any of you imagine traveling hundreds of miles, hundreds of miles on the back of a camel? No GPS, no waves, no theory, getting 
and in calling for Uber. All you have are the provisions of the Lord by way of a star guiding your footsteps in this joy unspeakable fueling your body. Can you imagine traveling through all foreign lands where the people are different, the cultures are different, the languages are different, you are different. You are a stranger to them, which makes you a danger to them, which makes you a danger to yourself. Can you imagine? And to make things even worse, now you're carrying some of the most expensive and hard-to-get treasures that anyone can get their hands on. So now you immediately put a target on your back. Can you imagine? Some of you won't walk by the projects at 8 o'clock at night, if we can be honest with ourselves. Can you imagine? I wasn't there, brothers and sisters, but I can just imagine the, the wise men singing one of those old gospel songs. Oh, don't you know that we've come this far by faith, leaning on, leaning on the Lord. Okay. He hasn't, he hasn't failed me yet. Me yet. You're really applauding for God, because we didn't, we didn't plan that. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Because I sure wasn't going to sing the hope. Thank you. So the question becomes, how many of you can pinpoint moments in your life when Jesus was your guiding star of Bethlehem? How many of you can say wholeheartedly, he has not failed me yet? Again. And this is the moment when if we were in the classroom, all the kids would be like, ooh, 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 meet me, teacher. Pick me. Because everyone in here, if you're being honest with yourselves, can talk about the fact that he has not failed you yet. So true story, for several years, I prayed for three specific things. In this specific order, I prayed for a wife, I prayed for a house, and I prayed for a son. Now, I know I'm not the most handsome brother today, but 15 years ago, I... But the Lord heard my prayer for a wife. And unbeknownst to me, he had already assembled the most beautifulest woman in the world. And listen, I know beautifulest is not a word, but she is the most beautifulest woman in the world. He had assembled her and God gave her to me and me to her. We were married in the 12th month on the 13th day of the year 2014. 12, 13, 14. And by my calculation, our anniversary is... Tomorrow, you made it. And then I made a, a promise to our, you know, the oldest child, Tiana. <laughs> Promised her. I told her that before she graduated high school, we were going to have a house with a backyard so big, we would be able to have a pool and a trampoline. We do not have the pool. And we took them to um, Sky Zone, you know, where you go and jump on the trampolines. And she somehow left with a concussion. So needless to say, we do not have a trampoline either. <clears throat> but the Lord heard my prayer for a home, and he provided that home. In 2015, Bonnie and I bought that home. So in 2014, I got the wife. In 2015, we got the home. But I found myself surrounded by three women all the time. That's three daughters and a wife. Knows that is not an easy feat. And then Bonnie started dropping these little seeds. It might be time for. And so I would really pray to the Lord, and I would say, "Listen, if you give us another child, I'm going to need a son." 
And that, you know, midway through 2015, maybe end of 2015, Bonnie and I found ourselves at the hospital getting a 3D ultrasound. You know, the 3D is when you can see the face coming out at you. And after pushing that baby around for a few minutes, the nurse said, you're going to have a son. So I jumped up immediately and I said, please check again and tell me that this is not a mistake. And she said, okay. So she pushed that baby around for a little while long. And she said, do you see that little thing right there? That's a boy. By the grace of God, we had a son on the way. And so I cried like a baby. Yes, I cried because I was excited for Bonnie and me. Yes, I cried because I would finally have a son. But the truth is, in that moment, I was overflowing with joy unspeakable. I literally couldn't speak in that moment. And I realized that we had gotten that far by faith, leaning on the Lord, trusting in his holy word. And we have so much proof that he has not failed us yet. Yes, I had my fair share of hardships. Yes, the marriage is ups and downs. No, the bank accounts are not always overflowing with money. Yet, I have joy unspeakable the Lord Jesus and for all that he has done for us. In fact, if you meet anyone who has met me in the last two years, they can tell you how they have seen the work that the Lord is doing in my life and in my house. How can I not have joy unspeakable? And I have to remind you that we are not talking about ordinary joy. So if you look in the book of James chapter 1 verses 2 and 3, you don't have to go there. I'll read it for you. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that testing of your faith produces steadfastness. In other words, he encourages us to think about some of our most difficult and challenging moments in life and see them as joyful things. Count it all joy, he says, because in those moments, those trials and tribulations help us to trust more. You see, James is not suggesting that we have to get rid of all other emotions because we have joy. He is telling us that they can be contemporaneous. Contemporaneous, that's a Pastor J.D. word. <laughs> and it simply means coexist at the same time. You can have sorrow and have joy unspeakable. You can have a broken heart and still have joy unspeakable. You can experience a death in your family and still have joy unspeakable because the joy rebuilds after the death. The joy restores after the broken heart. And in that way, joy is based on circumstances happening around us. You can be in your deepest, darkest moment, and yet you can still have joy unspeakable. The Bible tells us that weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. In 2016, John Piper wrote this, uh, this little passage here. He said, when, I'm sorry, he said, we can be said to have the fullness of joy in God if our joy in God is so full it outweighs all other competing emotions. In other words, the joy in God can outweigh your affliction. Your joy in God can outweigh your poverty or your sickness. It can outweigh that divorce or that death in your family. And I have to remind you, we're not talking about ordinary joy here. In the book of John, chapter 15, Jesus was speaking to the disciples when he used this analogy of the vine to explain the dynamics of being in a relationship with him. In verses 1 and 2, Jesus says, I. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. None of us have ever seen actual fruit just grow in midair. It is always connected to a source, whether it is a vine, a tree, or a bush. Now, in this analogy, Jesus teaches the disciples that he is the source. He is the vine. He 
is the tree, he is the bush, and that they or we are merely the branches. But he tells us that if we remain connected to him, the source, then we can bear fruit. But he also tells us that apart from him, we can do And he's not talking about apples and oranges and bananas and pears. So what is this fruit he is talking about? The Bible tells us that we have the fruit of the spirit, which is love and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control and joy. Those of us who believe and follow Jesus Christ are distinguished from the unbelievers in that we are beneficiaries of the Holy Spirit, which enables us to bear this fruit, including joy. Therefore, Christians can and should be joyful all the time. I know that's hard to envision, but even in your deepest, darkest moment, you can still have joy unspeakable. So if we stayed in John 15 for a moment, verses 10 and 11, the Bible says, if you, if you keep my commandments, this is Jesus speaking, you'll abide in my love just as, I kept, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let me repeat that. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants us to have the fullness of his joy, but it requires personal connection to him. So if you think about it this way, we are an empty glass. Jesus is the water of life. We cannot experience the water of life unless he decides to pour into our glass. Now, in the same way, this glass can be filled with lots of other liquids. We can fill it up with soda and water and, I mean, sorry, milk and juice and beer, wine, whatever. But we have to understand that these things may not be of Jesus, And so although your glass may appear to be full, it will feel empty because the substances are superficial. If you follow me, say amen. Amen. In verse 11, it says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. Jesus said to the disciples, my joy. He didn't say a joy or some joy or a joy concerning me, but he said my joy because joy that he was on earth and the joy that he has at the right hand of God the Father has been extended because he wants us to have it but I have to remind you again we are not talking about ordinary joy and because we are not talking about ordinary joy we cannot be talking about ordinary people this young female rapper coined this phrase regular smegular Y'all know, y'all know what I'm talking about yeah y'all know what I'm talking about regular smegular for my non-hip-hop affiliated folks in the room Considering someone to be regular smegular is equivalent to calling that person a Joe Schmo. So my point is, we cannot be a regular smegular person. We cannot be a Joe Schmo. We cannot be ordinary people spiritually and expect to experience extraordinary joy. Jesus was not ordinary. Mary was not ordinary. The wise men were not ordinary. And contrary to popular belief, Joseph was not ordinary either argue that he was lucky to be a part of this miraculous phenomenon, but there is no man in here right now would believe his wife if she came home and said, I am pregnant and the Holy Spirit is the father. There is no man in here right now that could handle the public shame that Joseph had to go through when knowing that his wife was pregnant, but he had nothing to do with it. I don't think there is a man in here right now that can bear the burden of knowing that his child is coming into the world to be the Messiah of the universe. Listen, Jesus could not be my son. I am too sinful. My shoes are too dirty. 
can you imagine being, the, Brother Thompson, tell me, can you imagine being denied access to heaven by your own child? That's a different kind of hell right there. But the wise men understood the kind of joy that I am attempting to talk about. And so if we go back to Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 11, it says, In going into the house, they saw the child with mother and fell down and worshipped him. Now, clearly, the wise men had unwavering faith. First, they did this divine guidance of a star to navigate them across the world for hundreds of miles, hundreds and hundreds of miles. They walked into a house. They saw a mother and a child. There is no record of inquiry. There is nowhere in the Bible that said uh, a conversation was had. But by faith, they knew that that star had brought them to the place where they were supposed to be. They knew that Mary was the woman they were supposed to see. And they knew that the baby before their eyes was going to be the king of the Jews. And because of this faith-filled certainty, they fell down and they worshiped him. The Bible didn't say they reached out to hug him or kiss him or to high-five him. The Bible said they fell down to worship him. were in the dirt, their faces were to the ground, giving this baby, this baby, the same treatment that they would have given to a king or to a prince. Why? Because they knew that this baby was born to be the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords and the prince of our peace. The scripture tells us that they fell down to worship him. Now, Jesus wasn't the only one there, but the scripture says they fell down to worship him, not them. Many people, including me, have wondered why Joseph, the surrogate father, had not been mentioned in this part of the scripture. And admittedly, y'all, I took it kind of personally because I feel like the father's always being cut out of the picture. Uh, But then it dawned on me. Joseph may not have been mentioned, but the father was there. You see, because the heavenly father was definitely there covering, keeping, protecting the son from the evil king, Herod. And it has been written that Joseph was likely not there because the heavenly father did not want the wise men to mistake Joseph as the biological father. But the truth is, whether Mary was there or Joseph was there or not really doesn't matter because the wise men traveled hundreds of miles to worship the king, the king of the Jews. And that is exactly what they did. And the scripture tells us in verse 11, then open the treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, it's common, especially in the East, uh, when you're going to stand before royalty or when you're going to stand before someone that's important, you have to come bearing gifts. And so considering the fact that the wise men saw this baby boy right here as a king of kings and lord of lords, it makes sense that they came with the most lavish, lavish gifts. And so they recognized his royalty in that moment. They recognized his kingship. Even in his infancy or his toddler stage, they could see the sovereignty was already there. So earlier I mentioned that we would be talking about the kind of joy that will humble us enough to make us want to worship the one true living king. And this is exactly what the wise men were experiencing. And by the way, the joy that I am speaking about cannot be mistaken for some simple sense of happiness. Now, some have argued that there is no explicit difference between happiness and joy, and I just happen to disagree. Uh, Some have said that they both enjoy, I'm sorry, involve emotions. Both are pleasurable feelings and both are mentioned in scripture and passages that equate the two. I happen to disagree. Opposition would say that there is no such distinction made in scripture between the two words. Or forcing a distinction between the two words is unnecessary and I just happen to disagree. Indeed, the two terms are related, without a doubt. Indeed, indeed the two terms are interconnected, but that does not make them interchangeable. I know some folks who would that being and being wealthy are the 
thing, but then we'll find folks who make a clear distinction. I know some folks think of the enemy and the adversary in the same way, but I can make a clear distinction. In fact, it has to be a distinction made between happiness and joy in order for you to understand in which realm you are operating in. And so the following points are the ones that the opposition loves to say us Christians will make. They will say that we will say happiness is a feeling, but joy is not. I would say happiness is about a feeling. And the Bible tells us that joy is about fullness, completion, wholesomeness. They will say that we will say happiness is fleeting, but joy is everlasting. I will say happiness is external. Joy is internal. That is why we can be unhappy and still we can enjoy. In other words, happiness comes and goes based on the circumstances that happen in the world while joy is consistent because it is rooted in faith. It is rooted in Christ and it is of the fruit of the spirit because of our relationship with Christ. And therefore, it is unmoving. Happiness doesn't have a home because it is connected to too many moving parts, but the joy resides in your spirit. They will say that we will say happiness depends on circumstances or people, but joy is a gift from God. And I will say, show me the lie. They will say that we will say happiness is worldly, but joy is divine. And to that, I will say it is not about what we say or what we think, but the Lord. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. Amen. So that your joy may be full. Happiness comes from things the world, but the Lord is not of the world. And so we must make a distinction between what is worldly and what is divine. The wise men understood this. That's why they so willingly traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles relentlessly. It wasn't to feed their inquisitive appetite, but it's because they had the joy of the Lord within them. Mary understood this despite her fear and uncertainty. And so she was able to respond to Gabriel, that, that angel, and said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, have your way. Do what you have to do. Joseph understood the difference, and that's why he was able to take the back seat on command. This is not to suggest that Joseph did not have a difficult time with the experience. Trust me, he did. In fact, he almost called off the wedding and sent Mary packing on her way. But the angel showed up. And he came to Joseph and he told Joseph that he is a part of God's plan. He made that plan known to Joseph. He told him that he had a role in the plan and his justice would be put to good use, caring not only for Mary, but also for the divine son that she bore. This is not ordinary joy here. Some of us still pray and ask God to pull us out of our storms and to pull us out of our most trying times. And I hope that he does. But even if he doesn't. Joy unspeakable gives us the faith, the courage, and the strength to say, Lord, even if you don't pull me out, help me to endure. That is joy unspeakable. It's more than temporary happiness. Joy is lasting. It's not based on this simple idea of an emotional reaction to our circumstances. It is an active choice of attitude. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we rejoice because we have joy in him. We have redemption in him. We have peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there is no law. So it is ours to be had, good people. Jesus wants you to experience the fullness of joy. And guess what? Nothing and no one can take it away from you. And knowing that, you ought to have joy unspeakable. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father who art in heaven, we just are so grateful 
for your word. We pray, Heavenly Father, that everyone under the sound of my voice receives your word in a way that it is transformational. We pray, Heavenly Father, that your word plants a seed in them, that they may desire to have your joy unspeakable within them, that they may come and seek you diligently, Heavenly Father. It's easy to sit and listen to someone else talk about their joy unspeakable, Heavenly Father, but we pray that everyone in here and everyone under the sound of my voice is going to experience that joy unspeakable for themselves, that they draw nearer to you, that they strive to have a closer relationship with you, that they get to know you and not just of you, Heavenly Father. We're just grateful that you allowed your spirit to be here today. If no one else felt it, Lord, I did, and I am grateful. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that as we go back out into the world, that you continue to protect us, continue to keep us, continue to show us your grace, your mercy, and your love. Continue to allow us to enjoy your joy within us. We ask all these things in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, man. Yeah, man. Uh, I just want to encourage you real fast with something. Like, one, I want to encourage you that Christians, Christ followers, we have permission to be the most joyful people. Like, we live in a world where it's like, if you're too joyful or too peaceful, people can be like, hey, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Like, we have permission to be joyful. And I want to encourage you over the next couple of weeks and going into the new year, let the joy of Jesus that it's not something we put on, that's happiness. It is something that is welling up in us. And I also know, and I'll just say this as your pastor, that um, there are times where we're not going to feel joy. There's just times it's not going to be there. And let me encourage you, that that doesn't mean you're broken or that you don't love Jesus. Let me encourage you in those moments. Just say, Lord, would you, would you bring the fruit of joy into my heart, into my marriage, into my workplace, into my relationships, into my faith? Joy is something, Ed, just share with us, that is manufactured by the Lord, not by human effort. So if you aren't feeling it this Christmas season, pray in earnest. Lord, will you bring joy into my life that comes from knowing you? The thing I love the most about the story, we were talking about this on Friday, is the joy of Jesus and just following Christ, being a Christian, is not just for religious people. Some people will hear this story and they'll go, oh, well, pff, that's for people who grew up in church. That's for people who know where the books of the Bible are. That's for people who don't swear as much as I do or get angry like I do in traffic. Or that's for people who know these songs we sing in church or know where these books of the Bible are, whatever. Listen, when God sent his son to become a human, in this story, who got the invite? It was people from literally modern-day Iraq who were star-worshipping pagans, who believed in no religion so deeply that they knew all the religions of the ancient Near East. And when the Son of God was born, they were so decommitted from any one faith that they actually knew the Hebrew Scriptures enough to know what that star was about. They didn't believe, these guys didn't believe anything. If you feel far from God or you're praying for a family member who feels very far from God, understand, you cannot get further from God than the wise men were. The gospel is for everyone, insiders and outsiders. Jesus came for everyone, and we celebrate and remember that.